Hello, Ivy, Kim, Amory. It's been a while since we four have done an Ed Chat episode together. Yes, it has. And I will say that I do miss your brains and your beautiful faces. Most of all, you know, I know it's been some time. And as much as I'm so thankful to be back with each of you for another episode, I truly hate that it has to be around the topic we'll be addressing today. So listeners, if you haven't been able to tell, we are connecting to you via Zoom, which has become this code word of our new normal. Um, It's June and it's a little gloomy outside. And you know what? COVID is still out and about. Why are we here coming back together, connecting? Well, as you already know, there there is a lot going on in our country right now, and our team has really been wanting to process all that's going on, and we're isolated at home, and we haven't been able to do that because we usually really rely on each other to kind of process all that we're feeling and all that's going on. So being home alone and, and really wanting to do something and feeling absolutely helpless to be able to actually do anything, I sent you guys an email and said, you know, would you be interested in using the the platform that we do have, this podcast, to actually maybe do something or say something? Yes, and um, I appreciated the call, Kate. I felt the same way you did, because in addition to the pandemic that we're dealing with, both as educators and as parents and and just citizens, many of us um, have been traumatized by watching the video of George Floyd die in the custody of police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Additionally, again, as many of you know, um, and, and may have even been involved in, you know, there were tons and tons of protests that um, began several days later when there were no official charges that were brought against the four officers shown in the video. Unfortunately, George Floyd's death, it really was just the tipping point because we also know that there's Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, uh, Tony McDade, and just so many others who have faced a very similar tragic fate. So here we are sitting and we're recording this about a month later. You know, to be honest, we, we have attempted to get together a couple times before today to really talk about our emotions, have a conversation about them. And and what we realized is that we weren't ready to. I mean, we've, we've experienced each one of us different emotions and a range of emotions that are constantly shifting. And so if you're hearing us today, it means like we hit record and we're, and we're we're being vulnerable, but we're ready to, to get something out there. And if you're one of our, our past listeners for CNUSD EdChat, first of all, we want to thank you. But what you'll also know is that our goal is to really provide um, professional learning, you know, that's at your fingertips, but also just learning in general. And so keeping in that, that same vein, what we decided we needed to do was really seek some understanding for how we got here hear from some of our people that we consider experts and then also look for ideas for how we can move forward. And one thing that we definitely know and all agree on is that it is completely okay to not be okay right now during this time. So whereas we as a team, we and, and parents and really just humans uh, in this world, we, we may not have necessarily the right words. So what we decided to do is we decided to turn to some of our favorite CNUSD EdChat past guests 
product and really people we consider to be experts. And what we want to extend to all of you is an invitation to come alongside of us um, and our commitment to, to learn together and, and to grow so that we can move forward together. So the first two people that we decided to invite back as, as our past guests are two people who are near and dear to me um, and really to the team, uh, Drs. Dolores and, and Randy Lindsay. And I first met them in about 2002. They were my professors at Pepperdine University and um, they really changed my life as far as how I approach the topics of access and equity and also how I address my own biases about individuals and how I can continue to work on myself to be an educator and better person and reach our students that have been underserved. So what you will hear today is our very first Zoom interview with Drs. Dolores and Randy Lindsay who spoke to us from their home in San Diego County. So first, we want to thank you, Randy and Dolores, for coming back on our show. We always love to mm -hmm. speak with you, whether it's on a pat podcast or off a podcast, and, and we value your conversation. So we really were thinking, you know, when, when our crew was talking, how did we get here? And, 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 and asking that, we're talking about, you know, it seems that our country is really in a state of collective civil unrest. So just your thoughts on really how did we get to this place? That's a great question. Um, the collective unrest, I think, stems out of a collective amnesia. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that we have a history that we continue to try to deny and paper over. Uh, one of the things that becomes unsettling for a lot of people when they start unpacking systemic inequities is that the country was initially founded on genocide. And that's a piece that, that still runs through our history. And a lot of people want to deny that, want to paper over that and do the myth of Thanksgiving and things of that nature. Uh, related to that is the history of uh, enslaved uh, Africans uh, and the system of slavery in the United States and Jim Crow, which followed, and the inequities which have come from that. So I think when we take a look at how do we get here, it, talking to another colleague uh, last week, and she said, you know, Randy, at one time when, when I was in a class of years at Cal State Los Angeles, you identified the fact that these civil unrests happen at 30-year intervals. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had learned in one of my courses at Illinois. And if you stop to think about it, it does happen about every 30 years, there's a major unrest going back the last 200 years. And so I think that the how we got here is through the ignoring the inequities that happen in society, uh, becoming somewhat inured to them, and then things erupt. That said, almost all of them is followed by a period of improvement. And okay. so the, the, the long trajectories, think of Dr. King's uh, comments, the long trajectory is towards justice. It's painful in the period, and it's painful in the interim periods also because of the people who are continually marginalized and victimized. And so we're at a point now where there is really opportunity, and there's opportunity to have authentic conversations and authentic introspections in ways we may not have had a month ago. I think that amnesia uh, analogy is just wonderful because uh, as educators, we're responsible for uh, that intellectual memory. And I think as uh, teachers and leaders, we're responsible for 
educating students of today, whatever the today is. And when we think about the uh, responsibility of curriculum, whose curriculum gets taught, whose history gets taught. And unless we are introducing ethnic studies or specialized studies, what we call American history depends on who's America. I live with this historian, uh, Randy Lindsay, and so I'm constantly reminded or introduced to history I didn't know anything about. When I see Facebook posts of uh, parts of our history, and I have friends who say, oh, that happened so long ago, we don't need to be reminded of that. Uh, we do need to be reminded of that. That's that amnesia. If we're not reminded, uh, you know, history will repeat itself. And I think we're at another 30-year, 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 50-year period. Um, and we need to keep that in the forefront. I think we got here because of the inequities that continue to occur. And when you speak of the 30-year incremental periods, that is honestly something that I've never heard about, but now is on my next, uh, on the list of the next things to really read about and, and look up because having heard you said that, that's just something amazing in and of itself to consider when we look at the history and the, you know, the, the trajectory of our country. Yeah, if we just take a look, uh, on Twitter yesterday, someone posted asking people who are white people doing this work, could you name a book or something you did that created the initial awareness? And for me, it was Lerone Bennett Jr.'s book, Before the Mayflower. And as a history major, two degrees in history by that time, almost none of that did I know. Mm. It was amazing. I had two degrees in U.S. history, and reading Lerone Bennett's book was giving me a history of the United States I had never experienced before. That's where I found out about Juneteenth. You know, that was not in my history books at that point. I'm not sure it still is. And that, those become the important things about the cyclical nature is that we do seem to learn a, a lot, sometimes a little bit, and we continue to move forward. However, the downside is the same groups of people are targeted and marginalized and victimized. I think we're at the point now that we are going to be able to face that in ways we never have before and hold ourselves accountable. And so a little later on, you got one of the questions I want to use to jump on that because it's, it's really an important construct for the United States to become an authentic democracy, an authentic democracy that's inclusive. We're moving in that direction. It's very uneven insofar as people's experiences are concerned. When I say people, I'm talking about groups of people. One of the places that we are now, we're, we're here now, and there's a, there are new scholars emerging. There's new research, uh, again, that uh, demythifies and demystifies some of the things that we thought we knew uh, about history and about racism. And so as new scholars emerge, there's, there's new information, there's new research. Uh, and, and I think one of the new scholars that, that uh, I'm impressed with, and I continue to read and find out more about him, is Dr. Kendi, Ibram X. Kendry, and a young man and uh, what he's bringing forward about being an anti-racist. And then uh, Robin D'Angelo's work uh, around white fragility. And so if I can learn from their work, 
more about myself. It's, it's about my journey. How did I get here? Not mm-hmm. only how did we get here, how did mm-hmm. I get here? Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, continuing to reflect on self and then reflect on our nation is part of, uh, you know, the how did we get here? Hmm. So thank you for sharing. This is Anne Marie. I'm listening here too with Ivy. So you went over the background and the history, but um, taking this more to a personal level, how has just everything that has unfolded in the past, you know, weeks or month, uh, months, um, has any of this affected you just personally? And if so, would you mind sharing how? It's almost personal, you know, myself just watching uh, what happened to Mr. Floyd um, and knowing that that's also a, a proxy for lots of things that happen uh, throughout the systems and realizing that that's cyclical throughout our history, realizing that there are lots of things similar to that that happen. And there's no camera there. I took it to another level. I took it out of law enforcement and, and to start taking a look at public schools. And for me, those four officers symbolize a lot of educators who are standing and watching and are not, not doing what we could be doing to educate all children. And one example, and I'll just give it real quickly, we have been burdened as a, as a profession for a long time with the achievement gap as a concept that focuses on something wrong with those kids. Instead of talking about how do we use achievement data to retool what we do and make ourselves responsible for all kids learning. And that, that twist in thinking, a twist in perspective becomes very important. It's happening in lots of places, but I think we're going to be able to move more quickly over the next few months than we have in the last five years. Well, two areas uh, that I want to talk about, if I can get through it without mm-hmm. uh, tears. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year and a half ago, Randy and I decided that um, after over 50 years in education, we were ready to kind of step off the stage. We've mentored folks and uh, we've uh, founded the Center for Culturally Proficient Educational Practice and we've supported uh, folks like you who are asking us these tough questions today uh, so that you'd go out and do the work and that we were going to visit with our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and enjoy our children and uh, do what some people call retirement, though we've <laughs> flunked yeah, re- no. traditional retirement several no. times. And then again, when this um, the the national picture changed, uh, we were really, um, I guess, about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, we felt that we were called back into service. Uh, it's we cannot not do the work. Mm-hmm. We felt called to further mentor folks like you all, to support you all, to do some more writing, to do whatever we can do to support the community of learners. Uh, so that's that's the one piece. We're we're back in it. Okay. Thank you for calling and asking these questions. Very timely. Secondly, I think many of the listeners know and people that have read our books know that I was born and raised in the deep South. Oh dear. Um, Most of my family continued to live there. 
uh, the last three years, almost four years now, have been very difficult for me and for my family. The last few months have created even more division in our family. So I'll just say that I, I do take um, what's been happening in the last few weeks. It's hit me very personally again. And trying to change people and their attitudes, I can't do that. What cultural proficiency has taught me is that this is not the work of changing people. We're trying to change policies and practices that might help change some behaviors that might in fact change some attitudes of folks that could lead to change within organizations is very hard work. And when you're working very closely with your family members, um, it's, it's even harder, I think, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm not giving up and there's hope in people like you who are asking us these questions today. There's hope in our schools, leaders and teachers, board members, superintendents that are continuing to do the work. So I don't mind sharing my personal story at all. It's one of, uh, of hard work. It's, it's, um, today is my, one of my sister's birthdays. She passed away about five years ago. And one of the last things she said to me is, I understand your work and it's truly a calling. So that's what keeps me going. And it's hard work and it's worth every minute of it. So I'll take a minute to um, recover and uh, keep asking us these good questions. I just I want to make a summary from my own my own viewpoint also. I'm just listening to Dolores and, and feeling this. I, for me, it's the range of feelings goes from extreme anger. <sighs> You were going to pull it together. <laughs> Disappointment. Yeah. Disappointment that um, that some of my friends have to experience things I don't experience, um, and knowing that that is visited on children and youth in disproportionate ways. Um, so, as, as Dolores said, you know the the, the quitting. There's it's not a there's not a it's not an option. Uh, as long as there's people like yourselves that want to continue doing the work. And we've got two of our colleagues in Visalia today doing some astounding work and just really impressed with the kind of work that they're doing. So that that's the other end of the range. You know, I see some work that's happening in schools and school districts where Glenn Sigler's work's being done, where Shiraki Holly's work's being done, where Zareta Hammond's work's being done. You know, I, I know that there are some good things happening, but the um, incidents of the last several days, you know, just as, it re-stimulates. I mean, you know, just the Tulsa massacre is a good example. You know, that just doesn't appear in, in traditional history books anywhere. Nowhere, yeah. nowhere. And, and just, I mean, the, I mean, the obliteration. You know, and Rosewood in Florida, very same thing. You know, mm -hmm. and um, it's just it's it's astounding. Let alone you know the, the marginalization and, and victimization and targeting of Native American populations historically and currently. You know, those those are things that are with us. Um, 
but at the same time, uh, the democracy continues to unfold in ways that, um, you know, the Supreme Court made a very courageous decision yesterday, you know, uh, LGBTQ guarantees. <clears throat> so those are the things that give me, in DACA, DACA, those are the things that give me, give me hope for, you know, continuing doing the work. Um, there's no other society on face of the earth that's taking these and doing any better than we are. You know, so it's, there's that, but there's the fact that some people have to have disproportionate negative experiences. That's what I find so distressing. Well, thank you for sharing though your stories because um, just as a as a team, as an Ed Chat team, and you know we're all here listening, Kate and Kim too. It, it, um, I think there is power, and you talk about it in your work. You talk about it when we go through cultural proficiency, you know, trainings and and the journey, and it is about sharing our stories with each other because um, everybody is affected differently. And I think we just all can grow by hearing it. So I really do appreciate you sharing that with us because uh, we stated this before, like we, you are viewed as intellectuals and as, you know, experts in doing the work for so long, but you are also human. So to hear how some of us may be affected because we're feeling broken or it's hard to go on sometimes, like you give us hope. <laughs> and so we just appreciate you so much. So I, I, I did want to take the time to say that. So thank you. Just give you one more illustration, if, if I might. Um, I had a person last week called uh, Kimberly Lewis, and they're doing a book study of the Manor for School Leaders. And she had just finished reading chapter 10. And chapter 10 was written at the time of the last uprising, um, Baton Rouge and Dallas and all of that. And she said, it's like I had written it just yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to, to really hear her see this and say, this is like it happened yesterday. And I said, well, it did. It really did. And so those are the kinds of things that we continue making those connections. And then she's taking it back to her schools and having very productive conversations. So that's where the hope comes in. So I, yeah. I, I go from, the, from one extreme to the other, all of which are real. And someone asked when they, uh, it was a similar opportunity on a Zoom conversation and it was, it said, it's so nice to hear from an expert. And I said, you know, I, I'm identified as an expert in cultural proficiency, but there's many, there are many days that I am not culturally proficient. There are days that I struggle in cultural blindness, that things happen that I don't see. There are days that I... It, things go right by me. I, I don't hear what someone said and, and they may walk away thinking how insensitive was my comment. And uh, I work on this every day. Uh, it's, it's not something that, that you become culturally proficient one day and you put the book away. Um, so I encourage people who are listening to become an expert in yourself Mm -hmm. That's the best we can do on any day. And, and I can learn more about myself as a white woman by, by getting to know another a woman of color, by getting to know um, a, a young man that's struggling as a, as a school leader. I get to know more about who I am by knowing somebody else's story. Uh, you know, you, you become an expert because you get books published, I guess. But um, I'm, I continue to grow every day because I, I get to know somebody else's story as well. But 
in the case of of both you and Randy, everything that you just said, um, even though others may not see it who are as, as close to you and who has speak to you as, as often, that is a part of your expertise um, and your wisdom showing that and even being able to share with us and our listeners that you're aware that there is still room to be done. There's still a work to be done just on you, yeah. you know, and some people aren't even to those initial stages where they can even accept that there is still work to be done on themselves, you know, and I think that's, that's the first step, you know, knowing that I don't know everything, that there are some things that I'm aware of, that I, sometimes I am a part of the problem, that I have a lot of work to do on me. And that's all of us just as, as human beings, but particularly in the realm of, of cultural proficiency, which is what you've always taught us, that it's an inside out approach. And um, many people are not ready for that. They're ready for equity, but they're not ready to work on self. Yeah. And I know that's completely off of, uh, of no. our script that we have, but I, I had to, to throw yeah. that in there because well, I, that's, that's going to lead well into when people say, okay, we're ready for equity. Now this current context has led them to ask, oh, now what do we do? Mm -hmm. You know, we've been talking about equity, but now what, what are we going to do about it? It's, mm -hmm. it's front and center now. It might come as a segue in this conversation, but Doris and I had the opportunity a few years ago to go back to my roots in Illinois. And I did my master's degree, took my master's degree, work at the University of Illinois. So the Urbana schools had us come back and do some work with junior high teachers and counselors, administrators. And this first time for me meeting Pedro Nogueira. Uh, he was the keynote speaker. I, I, knew his, I knew his background, I knew his work, but I never met him personally. And he had the most electrifying open to that presentation I've ever seen in my life. There was about 120 people in the room. And he stood up there and he just looked across the room. He scanned for probably 90 seconds, felt like it was 90 minutes. And he just said, there's nothing wrong with the kids. Yeah. And just let it lay there. I have never seen such a profound piece. You know, the, of course, our work then the next two days was a piece of cake because you know, he really set the stage. And I think that's where we are in education today. I think that the opportunity for us, it, I think the, if anything happened on Miss to, to that gentleman that happened to him symbolically is the fact that society was standing on his neck. And we have the opportunity now in education to say, okay, what is it that we can do as individuals, as individual educators, that's going to say, what is it that we can do that makes things better for all kids? And so the, the learning our accurate history is an important part of that, but also the kinds of expectations. I know those are some of your future questions here, but you know, I think they're really important things that, that builds in. So when you ask about my feelings, my feelings have been everywhere. I mean, everywhere, just all over the, you know, the, the, uh, the grid, the spectrum, yeah. But thank you for the question. And I want to say that another reason why we are calling back on some of our past listeners, um, we met to plan for all of this. Um, I was not in a place where I uh, can speak. Yeah. 
you know, and um, you open the floodgates with the tears, but I'm, I'm holding back right now, but um, I'm, I'm not okay. And, 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 and it's hard, you know, it's hard. And so um, when we were speaking, we said, well, why don't we ask our past guests what they have to say? And, um, and everything that you were just saying, as far as where we're needing to go as educators actually is our, our, our next question and, and wondering, you know, um, first of all, what do you believe that our role should be as educators, you know, as teachers, school leaders, district leadership, what, what do you feel our role should be? I think our, for me, I think our role has to be not ignore what happened the last few weeks and to find parallels what we do in education. Um, I think that there's a strong correlation to what's been happening in the streets to what's, what's happening in our schools. I think our role has to be to take a look inward, individually and collectively. Uh, that's why we use the phrase inside out. That's what Terry Cross's original thing was. I think for those of us as educators over the next couple of years, to really take a look at ourselves and our own values and assumptions and beliefs about the communities we serve. Do we feel that we have the capability of learning how to teach them? And I don't hold that only to teachers. In our work with schools, the one thing that we try to lay out the very first day is everyone who works in the school district is an educator. And the only reason you have a job is there's a teacher in a classroom with children. So you should be able to articulate how you support that teacher in the classroom with those kids. And I think that very often when we talk about equity issues, we forget that part of it is how do we in fact bring the school together in support of making every classroom teacher successful with every child. I mean, there, there are places that are, you know, that are making good measured success with that. But I think as a society, we're, we're still struggling with that. And then that translates into me, then once we sort of take a look at my own beliefs, how does that, how does that fit into the policies and practices we have in our schools? And I, like Dolores, I'm really impressed with Kendi and talking about let's change the policies and practices and then behavior and values will follow. And that's exactly the opposite of what, I, what I've been taught for years, but it makes a heck of a lot of sense. When we talk about what do we do, we have to look at the whole system. Um, and of course, the closest connection to the kids are the classroom teachers. But we have to look at the system where there are key decision makers. And those key decision makers act off of those assumptions that they hold. And there's much being said and written about implicit bias. Uh, to us, implicit bias acts as your assumptions. So um, key decision makers are often acting off their own assumptions. The, the bias, and we all have biases, and, and we all hold those. We don't know if they're good or bad or ugly until we surface them and talk about them. So um, my area of research recently has been on gender equity or gender inequity. And so when HR folks make decisions and they hold bias toward uh, gender, uh, then they make those decisions based on those, based on those biases. So key people, HR, business folks, uh, curriculum folks, 
student services folks, they're all making huge decisions right now on the opening of school. And if they're making them in isolation of the students we serve in those communities, their biases are making those decisions. So when we think about inequities, then uh, unless folks are bringing a lot of people to the table that are representing their communities, that, that are from the community, not speaking on behalf of the community, right. but are from the community, uh, you know, having a place at the table and having a voice at the table, they're making their decisions based on their own biases and in the isolation of the community. So the only way we are going to interrupt the systemic racism is to find leverage points in the system to actually intervene and interrupt at those strategic points. The only way we can do that is to have leaders at the top positions saying, we need to look at this whole system and key, those key leaders be willing to open up that system. And that's pretty hard work. Now, I think one of the things that makes this movement a little different than before is that in years before, I've never seen top CEO uh, corporations, white leaders, make public statements in support of protest and civil rights and civil justice like I've seen recently. So if those CEO, if those top leaders across the nation, corporate leaders can take full ads out in the newspaper and post on Twitter, then our district leaders need to be thinking about the same thing. And so moving whole systems forward is, is what I'm trying to say. And mm -hmm. district leaders, site leaders, and then supporting teachers in the classrooms to have the skills to facilitate conversations, just like principals have to facilitate those conversations in their schools. So it's this cascading effect all the way through the system. I just give two illustrations, which are from broader society, but I think really bears and, and reinforces what Dolores is saying. Um, last week when NASCAR banned the Confederate flag, mm -hmm. It was huge. I mean, that was astronomical. Today, on the way up to to get on log on here, the Southern Athletic Conference (SEC) has now given Mississippi a certain amount of time to get rid of its flag, mm. or conference conference finals won't won't be played in the state of Mississippi. Those are things I never would have thought about a month ago. You know, it could ever happen uh, after the after the terrible shootings uh, in Charleston several years ago when the woman scales the, the, the flagpole and takes down the flag. You know, those are highly symbolic pieces. Um, so as I take a look at what's happening and, and can happen in our schools, if we can identify inequities as easy as we can today, then we can begin addressing them. And ESSA has, has gave us a gift that just keeps on giving, and that is data are accessible. Uh -huh. And do we have the courage to have the conversations about not what's wrong with the kids, but what is it we need to do differently so that the kids can be educated. And, and, and I think that's, that's where we are. And that's to me, that's the, the analogy of the flag and, and NASCAR. And those big things we just described 
are what's called culture shifts. Mm. So they, they happen within organizations, but they are actually organizational cultural shifts, cultural shifts within organizations. Those are huge. They don't, uh, when we say they don't happen overnight, they're happening within two and three weeks because of these significant events that have occurred. Which, an old analogy I hadn't thought of until just now, and I'm glad you mentioned that. In, in, in working with leaders, school leaders, mm-hmm. one of the old definitions, sort of a humorous definition of a leader, is someone who sees a mob going down the street and gets run in front of it, <laughs> <laughs> thereby becoming the leader. And I think that if school <laughs> leaders see the energy happening in our country right now around having authentic conversations, delving into our own personal assumptions, and being able to collect data about who's in special education, who's in gifted and talented, who's being suspended, who's being expelled. Uh, you know, to what extent do we reflect the community that we serve in so, insofar as who's involved in community partnerships? Those are real accessible points that school leaders, whether it be teachers, counselors, administrators, custodians, really doesn't matter, but whoever wants to bring the conversation to the table, we have permission now that we didn't have a month ago. And one of the things that must happen is that uh, the conversations must happen, but principals and administrators and teachers must be skillful at facilitating these conversations. You can't just walk in a room and say, okay, let's have a conversation about race. Right. Uh, right. Or uh, what do you think about the inequities that are occurring? Mm -hmm. Or what do you think about what happened in Atlanta? and just think that the conversations are gonna roll right along. So there, ha- there must be training, professional learning that occurs. Uh, I just wanna be very clear about that. Uh, and it's time for leaders to step up now and say, we, we need professional learning uh, in how to facilitate these conversations. And not that there they can't be one-sided conversations either. Uh, people have to be willing to be part of the conversations and and receive be part of a professional learning and how to facilitate, coordinate, communicate in a multicultural setting. Which is why we structured cultural efficient leadership the way we did, because it provides the opportunity for people to look at themselves, and then have dialogue across across gender and and cultural groups. Uh, so it's a, it's a very structured way of doing it, but it's built on the professional learning model. And there's lots of organizations out there that are really doing high-quality work around cognitive coaching and... and um, well, professional learning communities, yeah. uh, adaptive schools adaptive training, uh, a lot of uh, training that focuses on good communication skills and knowing how to facilitate a multicultural uh, converse, conversation. Can I add a question to that, though, just because um, so if I'm uh, hearing right and and action steps, if I'm thinking, you know, I'm a teacher or, let you know, I'm a school leader, um, having these conversations are important and ignoring things are 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 never good at the same time, you know, caution, because you are correct like these. I think the reason people avoid certain conversations are because I feel ill-equipped to lead this very difficult but critical conversation like I, I don't feel able to so. I guess my, my question are, it maybe is if, 
you know, where would a, a leader start then? Like, what do you recommend? Like, um, if I'm, if I, if I know I need to talk about something, but I don't yet have the training or the skills to do it, I guess that's my like immediate action. Like, what is your advice for, for those leaders or teachers who do want to address something? Do you have any, you know, advice for them? Because maybe with the, you know, we haven't gone through any sort of training yet. What, what do you say to those, those people? I think I, I would say to them to advocate at your school or your school district for what are some professional learning uh, opportunities that can be created and sponsored and offered here. Um, again, adaptive schools, cognitive coaching, um, professional learning committees, there are lots of good structures for that. And then the willingness and ability then to weave in demographic cultural issues becomes very, very important. But I agree with Laura says that communication skills is foundational. But you can't spend forever on, found, on the foundational skills. You have to get into the, to the more complex ones. And that's why I recommend book studies. Once people get to, to the point of, of, of understanding basic communication skills, then pick some books that you as a faculty can actually read and have conversations. One thing is, as educators, we're comfortable with books. And so being able to have book studies, and there's just a range of things, you know, from James Baldwin to uh, Kendi, you know, just lots and lots of good things. Indigenous history of the United States, you know, just some really powerful things there. As you asked the question, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Terrence Roberts. Dr. Roberts is a colleague of ours. Um, he, he, we saw him at the Museum of Tolerance here in Los Angeles numerous times. And somebody asked him a very similar question. And Dr. Roberts, by the way, was one of the nine students at Central High School Little Rock in 1957. And Dr. Roberts and I are the same age. We graduated the same year. Very different experiences. Very different experiences. Uh, but someone asked a very similar question. And he thought for a minute. He said, you know, it took 300 years to, to create this monster. A couple of workshops is not going to undo it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we, have to take, we have to take a, you know, a longer term you know, and, and layer in, you know, the, the communication skills, and layer in the professional learning guarantees, and and at the same time, just sort of weave in uh, the cultural issues that, that, are, that are facing your school, either through data or through book study or through both. But, but taking a three to five year horizon, and you don't wait till year four to get down to the big stuff, you know, you, you, you make sure that you've got it, you've got it factored in. Um, and I think you're going to find that your colleagues for the most part, will feel relieved that there is support for not hiding things that they can watch on CNN and Fox every night. Every county office now in California has an equity office, an equity leader, uh, and there are resources within those equity offices for training. Um, Museum of Tolerance, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center has teaching materials called Teaching Tolerance. And so there's teaching materials uh, readily available. Lots of resources are now being published. Uh, the list of resources are being published for training. Uh, and, and if you're not sure about those, send them to us and we'll kind of, not that we know everything, but there's some that we wouldn't recommend. Right. But, um, there are uh, books on how to talk to your children about racism, uh, all grade levels now. But for how to talk to another person, 
there's so much now on opinions. So a person will give their opinion. Just acknowledge that um, I understand you have a very strong opinion. And what we're looking to achieve is a, a place where we can all have conversations so that we can better serve all children. You just, it's a, it's a paraphrase, you know, and uh, opening up opportunities for people to express their thoughts and ideas in a, in a mindful way that we're here to serve all kids. We're here to serve our communities so that all kids can be successful. It's an, and it's not about politics. It's not about religion. Um, it's about how do we educate all kids? And again, Let's take a look at the data and see uh, how we're serving some students well and others need to be served differently. What might our dashboard say about that? And let's look at our LCAP plan and see where our equity plan fits in that. And uh, use what you know works well. And, uh, and confrontation, conflict is not a bad thing. It's about how you manage that conflict. So, uh, you know, the, managing the dynamics of difference, it's, it's very normal and natural for people to engage in conflict, but how you manage that is what takes a, that skillful facilitator to do it. But don't, you don't have to wait till all 150 faculty member at a high school gets trained. You start with a small group that's ready to go and, and go with it from there. Okay, thank you. And thank you for mentioning the resources too. We can attach those to show notes and such. And you actually did remind me, I know you know Dr. Molly McCabe at RCOE. Yeah. And I spoke with her today and she mentioned, um, you know, in their equity department, they do have modules that they launched in March. And I was going to, you know, take a look yeah. at that. So we'll be sure to um, link those as well. And universities also now have, especially in their... Um, curriculum divisions or school of ed or department of ed they're now uh having wonderful success we know two universities anyway uh so we can direct you in that direction uh again uh equity and, and leadership in equity and doctoral uh departments and doctoral programs as usual you both give us so much to think about um and not just things to sit and and ponder over, but really an inspiration to get up and move and not again, all willy nilly, but in a specific direction, giving us some, um, some next steps, some action steps. And I think it really just comes down to, are we willing to take that first step? Or if it's, if it's a work that we, you know, are already doing, are we willing to keep on, on, on going? You know, and, and that kind of connects back to what you both spoke about. You know, you had planned for retirement. I'm betting for like the 50th time, but, you know, but you still, the fifth time, but you still having your heart that there's, there is work to be done. And um, I admire you for that. I think I can speak on behalf of the, the whole CNUSD EdChat team that we admire and we love you both for that. Um, with we, that said, we, we come up with a summary. We we retired from the institution, not the professional. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
we want to give you a million thanks for coming and chatting with us, not just today, but any other time that we, we call you up or email you or text you and, and have questions or, or want insight about things. And um, we, we, we pray that you guys are both safe during this time of COVID. And we, we look forward to seeing you in person um, when everything gets better in our country Thank and in our world. This, uh vehicle of communication that you offer to your community and to the people that you serve and uh, thank you for the opportunity to have us with you and we're available to you anytime thank you so much hi my name is erin and i'm in seventh grade if you would like to comment on their podcast go to cnusd.k12.ca.us slash edchat and be sure to follow them on twitter and facebook at cnusd edchat to let them know the topics you're interested in if you enjoyed this episode please help us out by leaving a five-star review we greatly appreciate your support mm-hmm.